So uh, before I begin, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that we live in a country where we can freely listen to it, we can freely proclaim it without fear, Lord. Give us boldness to do that. Give us wisdom to proclaim only your word and not our uh, human understanding in place of your word. Be with us this morning as we proclaim your word in spirit. Open our hearts to hear it. Open my mouth to speak it according to your word. And bless what we have to say, brethren, that we might cherish Jesus above all things in the new life that he has come to give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, I kind of want to make six points today. I only have 11 pages here. But it's big type. So, uh, six, the six points are that God is the author of life, all life, and all things. He's the author of all things. That the Word of God is the only is the only sure way to know truth in this world. That the Word of God is binding. It's not only true, but it's binding on you and I because He's sovereign. That what happened in Genesis 3 in the fall was more devastating than you and I can even imagine. That the redemption in Christ is our only hope. And that this requires new life. New life. As Jesus told Zechariah, you must be born again. So I want to begin in the first chapter of John's Gospel where John writes the following. By the way, uh, I had I had uh, someone, I think Lori, Lori left, my, or Lori Wright, my wife is Lori left, excuse me, uh, print out a piece of paper with most of the scripture that I'm going to use today, not all of it, but most of it, which kind of might help you, you don't have to pop around from page to page in the Bible because I'm going to go a little fast. Okay, so, so John writes this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That's a huge statement. It's hard to get your mind around. The book of Genesis tells us the same thing. God created everything. He created mankind. He created fruits and vegetables. He created fish and clams and oysters. He created words and logic and knowledge and understanding. He created ideas like love, ideas like mathematics and physics. He created beauty and our notion of beauty. He created a sense of right and wrong in man, and try as he might, man can't get rid of it. He created all things, everything, 
you and I, my dog, my wife, your mama. He created it all. As a further insight into God's word, the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Colossians tells us that not only did he create this, but it tells us that he created this all for and through Jesus Christ. He created it all for and through Jesus Christ. Not for you and me. Not for you and me. Through Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, who sits at the right hand of the Father. This is why Paul can say about Jesus, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Moreover, all of this, and we really need to get this, because God is sovereign over his creation, his word is binding over creation. What God says goes, whether you like it or not. His word is incompatible with any other view of anything that contradicts it. Because God created it all, God's word is the only sure interpreter of creation. What man says is not the final word about anything. God's word is the absolute truth about all to which it refers. Any interpretation of creation by you or by me or by any man about the things around us, about their nature or purpose or how we should interact with them that is contrary to the word of God is false knowledge. It's false. It is a truly sad state of affairs today that many so-called churches, the one I grew up in, the ELCA, have departed from this truth. Many have set the Bible aside as a source of truth, and as a result, there is much false knowledge and irrational thinking in the world today. They could have influenced the world for good, but instead they are ignoring God's word and condoning evil. The utter importance of God's word for dealing with life's tough issues was recently expressed by one writer for the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. It's an organization I think a lot of, and we know Billy does as well, that tries to help people who are in trouble with sin issues. And by the way, all our trouble is with sin issues, as we'll make plain. And the writer stated this, if your counselee, the person you're counseling, is not engaged in the word, which is how God reveals himself to us, then it is impossible for he or she to grow. For growth to occur, the counselee must engage in methods such as meditation, memorization of scripture, reading and listening to scripture as they study the word of God. That's not only good advice for the counselee, that is good advice for us. Secular psychology, 
is generally opposed to God's word and therefore foolish and unreliable. This is true no matter how many degrees a psychologist has or how famous he is. This was true of Sigmund Freud. It was true of B.F. Skinner. It was true of Carl Rogers. These are supposedly the great psychologists of our time. Pathetically, the views of these humanists are accepted by some ministers. That is not good. They contradict God's word. In response to these godless humanists, we should recall Paul's words in the second chapter of his letter to the Colossians. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Now listen to this. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. None of these men feared God, the ones I mentioned. That is why they were led on by foolishness and falsehoods. This should not surprise us. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. These men, and all around us, who depart from the Word of God, make the same tragic mistake as Eve, as recorded in Genesis chapter 3, which we read earlier, on that faithful day when the serpent deceived her. Now before we go to this account, you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis 3. Before we read this account between Satan, who is the serpent, and Eve, who is the first woman, let me preface by saying, in the beginning, everything God created was good beyond our wildest imagination beyond our wildest comprehension. The gifted author, Christian writer C.S. Lewis, tried to capture this in his fictional book, Prelandra. Lewis describes what is his type of Adam and Eve before their first sin as stunningly pure and holy. He describes them as totally sinless, majestic creatures who carried the image of their creator perfectly. We can't imagine this. We're immersed in something else. Creatures who spent their time in God's presence, innocent creatures who had never known the fear of death or disease or hunger or the effects of aging. Now you've heard people say, Today was one of the worst days of my life. Well, let me tell you, they do not know what a bad day is. What we are about to read, truly, truly, is the worst day in every woman and man's life until we are united with Christ as his brothers and sisters in the new heaven and the new earth. Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, 
we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. That my brothers and sisters, was a bad day. <coughs> because of that tragic act of disobedience, where Eve sought to be like God, knowing good and evil on her own. Does that sound familiar? That's the secular world. Because of that tragic act of disobedience, we read in the 17th verse of that same chapter, And to Adam God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, which the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you will return. And to Eve he said, I will surely multiply your pains in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Right, Heather? <laughs> Because of Adam and Eve's sin, man's heart, your heart and my heart, along with all of creation, were darkened and cursed. We don't get this, see, because we wake up in the morning and we think this is normal. This is not normal. We have no idea what creation was like before the fall in God's grace and presence. And what was their sin? Proverbs 3.5 tells us the answer to that question when it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust the Lord's word. That day recorded in Genesis 3, when Eve trusted in her own understanding, was the worst days of our lives. That's very bad news. Some believe that it was not all that bad. They believe that man with just a little help from God, a little penance on man's part, together with participation in infant baptism, and the continued sacrifice of the Lord's Supper can pacify God. Others believe that by human will alone, they can become obedient and avoid the error of Adam and Eve. The Bible says this is not true. The 17th chapter of Jeremiah in verse 5 says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes his flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from God. That last part is natural, because he did trust in man. Even worse, the Bible tells us, even if we could avoid Adam's sin, 
and it's too late because the offense was against someone so great it's impossible to rectify it's too late because the curse is much greater than we thought our very hearts have been darkened too much this is why the 17th chapter of Jeremiah verse 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it don't believe Walt Disney you don't follow your heart it's a train wreck the Apostle John in his first epistle in the first chapter the 8th verse says if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us Paul in the 3rd chapter and 10th verse of his letter to the Galatians warns us all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse for it is written cursed is everyone who does not abide in the things written in the book of the law and do them What is man to do? What are we to do? In verse 13 of that same chapter of Galatians, Paul tells us the good news. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. In that same chapter of his first epistle, the Apostle John tells us in verse 9, if we confess our sins, He, Jesus, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In the second chapter of Ephesians, the 4th through 5th verse, Paul writes, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. But it is further good news that Christ not only died as a sacrifice for our sins, but after his resurrection from the dead and his ascension to the right hand of the Father, Christ sent us the Holy Spirit as a divine helper for each new child of God. Our hearts are thereby changed so that we abide in Christ and he abides in us we are a new creation this is where we intersect with today's sermon text in chapter 4 of Ephesians let's turn to Ephesians 4 the 17th verse this is a wonderful letter and it's worth reading the whole thing on a on a Sunday when you sit down just just read the whole thing now uh, um, I mean to read all of Ephesians but at least read the fourth chapter um, so the 17th verse of Ephesians chapter 4 Paul says now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of, our, of their minds. Friends, 
based on what we have said so far, this is not optional. This is not merely a suggestion by Paul. This is not optional for any man or any woman who professes to be saved by Christ. The same Apostle John who told us if we say we do not sin, we make God a liar, also told us in chapter 3 of that same epistle, no one who abides in him, in God, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning since the beginning. The reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he appeared. No one born of God, John says, makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident, John says, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. These are hard words to hear, especially in our decade, which minimizes this. They're hard words to hear. Many cannot hear John, John's words. They act as though they do not believe them. Many say this makes salvation too hard, too complicated. In the next verse, Paul explains why these Gentiles who represent unbelievers walk as they do. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. We should not be surprised at this. Proverbs 1, 7 and 29 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Paul goes on to say, in verse 19, They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Whenever we disobey God, we have placed our trust in something or someone else. I'll say that again. Whenever we disobey God, you and I have placed our trust in something or someone else. These things in which we place our trust are idols. They are impure. The inevitable result of such idolatry, the worship of something besides God alone, is a darkened and hardened heart from which all manner of sin proceeds. This is because God turns us over to our idols. Our obedience to God's word is the cure for this cardinal sin of idolatry from which these other sins flow. The good news is that for those of us who are abiding in Christ is what Paul says next. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him 
and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus? In verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. But you might ask, Oh Lord, how shall we obey you? How can sinners like us be acceptable in your sight? And Paul answers, And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. This is not the mind you have before you were saved. You are renewed in the spirit of your mind by Christ and the Holy Spirit. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Beloved, we are a new creation in Christ. We are a new creation in Christ. Let us act like it. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes a very similar thing. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friends, I say it again. This is not optional for you and I. Yes, you are saved by the blood of Christ. Yes, it atones for every believer's sin. But the question is, are you really a true believer? If you disobey God? What do you do with Matthew 7, 13-14, where Jesus himself said, well, excuse me, where the gospel writer said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter, enter by it are many. Or verse 14, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Or verse 19 of the same gospel, chapter 7. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Our obedience to God's word demonstrates our faith in God. The brother of Jesus himself wrote, What good is it, my brothers, if, one, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, Well, you have faith, and I have works. And I say, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. But we want to answer. But Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Though this is true, in one sense, the problem with that way of thinking is that if we truly believe Jesus was our Lord, we would do what Paul says and obey him. As James says in 2.19, you believe God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Jesus says in Matthew 7.21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I have an autistic blind friend who uh, lives in Louisville, and he goes around uh, evangelizing. 
He's, he's one of the best evangelists I've ever known in my life. He gives, he makes CDs and he hands them out to people everywhere he goes. His name is Brad Mann. And Brad will always pick this verse out and say, what do you think, Greg? Am I really saved? Will Jesus say this to me? Let's read the whole verse. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He continues in verse 23, And then I will declare to him, I never knew you, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Our obedience to God's word demonstrates our trust in God. It demonstrates that, Jew, that Jesus truly is our Lord. If this is true, we will heed the words of Paul that follow in the, in the verses below, the ones of our sermon text today. What's he say? If you look at verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for he remembers one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Make no mistake, he doesn't want this to happen, the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So, brothers and sisters, let us all strive by the power of the Word Spirit within us to work out our salvation this way with fear and trembling, striving to obey God in all He commands. And when we fail, as we inevitably will, let us confess our sins, for God is faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us pray. O oh Lord, the writer of the book of Hebrews reminds us that your words, as recorded in the scripture, are living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He reminds us that no creature is hidden from their sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to which we must give an account. O Lord, may your word pierce our souls and spirit. O Lord, use your Holy Spirit to help us discern the true intentions of our heart and enable us to live so as to give a good account for our lives. Your servant Paul wrote, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. O oh Lord, by your Spirit, help us to apply your word for our own reproof, for our own correction, and for our own training in righteousness. 
And Lord, we give thanks to your Son, Jesus Christ, to you and to the Holy Spirit for promising to do what we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.